You know, every time I speak, I want the truth to come out. You know what I'm saying? Every time I speak, I want to shiver. You know, I don't want them to be like, they know what I'm going to say because it's polite. They know what I'm going to say. And even if I get in trouble, you know what I'm saying? That Ain't that what we're supposed to do? It's, I'm not saying I'm going to rule the world or I'm going to change the world, but I guarantee that I will spark the, the, the brain that will change the world. I think what you're trying to ask is uh, why am I so insistent upon giving out to them that blackness, that black power, that black pushing them to identify with uh, 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 black culture. I think that's what you're asking. It's, it's, I have no choice over it in the first place. To me, we are the most beautiful creatures in the whole world, black people. I mean, and I mean that in every, every sense, uh, outside and inside. And to me, we have a culture that uh, is surpassed by, 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 by no other civilization, but we don't know anything about it. So, again, I think I've said this before in the same interview, I think, uh, at some time before, my, my job is to somehow make them curious enough or persuade them by hook or crook to get more aware of themselves and where they came from and what they are into and what is already there and just to bring it out. This is what compels me to compel them. And I will do it by whatever means necessary. I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, and welcome to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. We are the return of intelligent radio as we ensure the free flow of opinions and push the envelope on the questions America's afraid to ask in the mainstream media. Good morning to all the intellectual outcasts out there listening. Looking to hopefully get my co-host on. I will have to rock out. Hopefully everything's okay. Um, but with that said, I will try to hold this thing down. I will be giving out the phone number uh, over and over again, hoping you choose to join me if you are a first-time listener. As we said, we'd like to push the envelope on the questions America's afraid in the mainstream media, but we are an interactive show, so you could actually call in and rock out with us. As again, my name is Black Socrates. I like to take the Socratic method to these various questions on race, sex, and culture, like to dub ourselves as the best in the world at these hard conversations because of the, the in-depthness that we go. And I really count on you as the intellectual outcast to call in and give us your three cents and add to the conversation. Because at the end of the day, quite often, um, the, you know, y'all are so brilliant that y'all really add to the show and take us to the next level. So um, if I am having to do this thing solo today, uh, I hope y'all jump in here. And um, if you if you make, if you, if your three cents is good enough, I'll let you, in a sense, send my co-host with me uh, as, as, as your points are being made. But to let the cat out the bag on this morning's discussion question, are there anti-black black people? Are there anti-black black people? And so anti-black is a, one of the latest terms in the, I guess you would call the diversity lexicon out there, these various words. Uh, we, we often in having these discussions because, in a sense, if you will, these new words are brought to us via our via academia. Um, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you may even know I'm not a huge fan of these various words being brought to the table. Uh, you always have to kind of pull them, peel them back, see exactly what they mean. Sometimes we think we know what they mean. Uh, sometimes we have dialogues such as this about various words, and quite often. 
over each other, around each other, maybe, um, and, and, and misunderstand each other because we don't always understand, in a sense, what this latest version of the word, uh, in a sense, means. Um, you know, throughout my life, you know, we, you know, this is we are in the United States, right? We always talk about the, the country in itself being built on the backbone of race uh, uh, for various reasons, if you will. And I know I never grew up hearing the term anti-black and um, thought it would be, in a sense, worth exploring um, because it, it, it's, it's, I've seen books written with that title, if you will. And um actually would, wouldn't mind reading some of those books. Um, again, if you're a longtime listener, I, I often encourage our community, and I see some callers out there. Um, I'll, we'll get to our first break, and I'll start letting some of you guys get in here with me. But I will say that, you know, even in um, about you know, one of the books, I like to kind of keep abreast of, you know, to a, to, a, to a degree, the latest things that are out there. Um, although, again, if you're a longtime listener, I am often encouraging our community not, if, if you will, not to focus on race as much because as the world is becoming global, uh, it will be less and less of a factor despite some of our uh, current realities in regards to race. Um, but I've definitely seen that change in my lifetime. And so hopefully today's discussion, we'll get into some of those things. And again, um, interesting discussion. Again, hoping to get my co-host on today. Uh, hopefully everything's okay there. But again, I know y'all can hold me down, see the callers out there. I'll go ahead and let the Put the number out there so others can get in as well. The number is 646-787-1691, 646-787-1691. For the new listeners, I'll say this, and we'll get started with this discussion. Uh, I, I typically, with my co-host, I have a sister, some sisters called the Queens of Intellect, and so I definitely like to keep, if you will, a woman's perspective on all these discussions. And um, so... Again, hopefully we'll, we will get Latrice on today. But with that said, let's go ahead and get started. The way I typically like to start the show is simply, you know, asking my guests, and I'll ask you out there, the listeners, to think about this. If you just now heard this question, are there anti-black black people? It's kind of a weird way to ask a question, but the first thought that pops in your head. So when I was trying to figure out how I was going to word the show, how I was going to word this question, if you will, um, my first thought is, yeah, there are, even though, again, trying to figure out exactly what the anti-black word means, and I think it's typically, in my opinion. Um, matter of fact, let me read a definition to you real quick, again, just to give a baseline of what that word actually means, because as I said, I don't want us to, if you will, make that same mistake of talking around a word uh, without some definition, and people, and I'm not, and the reality is, here's another thing about definitions, too. Uh, just to even throw this out to go a little deeper with the psychology. At the end of the day, humans, if you will, even in our communication, believe it or not, we are sometimes limited by our language, if you will. So even if something is in a dictionary per se, um, it still comes from the sentiment and the verbiage and the times of that day. So even something in a dictionary doesn't mean that's the exact definition. But here's uh, one definition that I came across for anti-blackness. It says, as being a two-part formation that both voids blackness of value while systematically marginalizing black people and their issues. The first form of anti-blackness is overt racism. Beneath this anti-black racism is the covert structural and systemic racism, which categorically 
predetermines the socioeconomic status of black people in the U.S. The structure is held in place by anti-black policies, institutions, and ideologies. So as I listen to this again, read this and this particular word, this in the past was just simply racism and systemic racism to a degree is how I look at this. The word anti-blackness to a degree seems a little convoluted. Um, again, just these various words come to us from academia. So hopefully everyone understands that definition. And like I said, in my mind, the answer is yes. But this has been an answer that's kind of always been around as we explore how we size one another up as African-Americans within our own culture. I think it's something that we've always done. I would like to highlight, actually got a caller that wants to jump in, so we'll go ahead and get them in as well. But I would like to highlight, I would like to encourage our community to do, to do this less and less. To do this less and less, I'm going to say this, go to break and call her 912, last 3913, we'll get you on right out of the break. But when I say do this less and less, it's in part because, in my opinion, when it comes to our community, the quote-unquote black community, I always talk about how race is a construct, and we'll get more into that after the break. But I always talk about how, for the most part, there are times when we, within ourselves, when we start judging whether someone is within our own community is with us or not with us, at that point where we judge within ourselves as if we are some type of monolith to a degree. However, outside the group, if someone push the, paints us with the monolithic brush, we push back and say we are not a monolith. I, I would offer just even getting some consistency on how we want to look at that, and you can fall in either boat. But if you could just be consistent within the group and outside the group, I think that would actually help how we look at these things. And the reason, again, I like to move away from this type of judgment within our own community so much is because um, a lot of times you throw away people who are with you over one idea that you disagree over, and that is can be very silly, especially if you live in the same community. Obviously, we got the social media streets out here now, and so you can go back and forth with people around the world. But let's go to this first break, and 912 will get you in on this discussion with us this morning as well. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Let me give out the number one more time. It's 646 787 1691. If you are trying to join the discussion, you will have to push one. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Do you simply want your taxes done this tax season? Or do you prefer to have your taxes completed by a professional on top of current and constantly changing tax codes? If so, look no further than S. Kinds Accounting and Tax Services. For each year, plenty of satisfied customers from around the country return for an efficient and professional tax experience. For small businesses, S-Kinds Accounting and Tax not only provides bookkeeping and accounting on a monthly, quarterly, and or yearly basis, but S-Kinds Accounting and Tax goes above and beyond to provide yearly tax strategies to increase the bottom line, profits. While no one likes when Uncle Sam or the IRS comes knocking, know you're in good hands with S-Kinds Accounting and Tax. Call them today at 770-947-3667. Again, that's 770-947-3667 or email them at advice at thetaxcoach.com. 
people still do not know what happened on the day that George Floyd died. They, they've never even seen any video outside of the nine-minute video that was played over and over and over again on loop, and they purposefully held back giving, just releasing the police cam, which would have cleared up so many of the lies. And it's amazing the emotional power of the narrative as opposed to the truth, the story they tell. Joe Biden, a man who's been in government since the 1970s, got on television and said, we are an inherently racist society, an inherently racist government. He said, he basically talked about this trial as if it were difficult to get a conviction of a police officer who has killed a person, which just isn't true. It just isn't true. If you have the testimony, if you have the evidence, you can convict a police officer in this country. He was talking as if it were 40 years ago. People were weeping in the streets when this verdict came in as if it were not a done deal, as if they, they weren't, it wasn't the, the Derek Chauvin who was the guy under, the, uh, under pressure. It's, it's amazing how completely, how completely the press working together with the left has sold this narrative that this is a racist country. I lived out of this country for most of the 90s. This is the least racist country on the face of the you planet. You would think that former Vice President Joe Biden would acknowledge the fact that America is not a backwards racist country as he stood next to the first black man to be elected as president of the United States two times, right? This is a majority white country, 60% white country. It would not have happened. Barack Obama would have never been president had it not been for the fact that America has moved on from race, that they don't want us to move on from race that's anymore. It. And that's exactly where we're getting at. That's all they've got. And I want to get to this tweet because I, I was so physically nauseated by it. It was from the mayor of Minnesota. He says, ready, George Floyd came to Minneapolis to better his life, but ultimately his life will have bettered our city. The jury joined in a shared conviction that has animated Minneapolis for the last 11 months. They refused to look away and affirmed he should still be here today. Brandon, Minneapolis to better his life. When you want to better your life, how much fentanyl do you take? <laughs> Simon says, I, I, mean, I, I don't know what, how much fentanyl he's taking to write a tweet like this. I, if you want to better your life, I think you would start by not using drugs and trying to buy stuff with fake money and resisting arrest from police officers. I don't know what world we live in. Why are these people so lame? They're just lying. They're just making up stuff to stoke hatred and vitriol in our country. That guy was a thug. That guy was a criminal. That guy was using drugs. He's not an example of anybody. He don't represent me as a black man. And I hate that. I want to, I want to put that out. I hate when people say to me, how do you not see yourself in, in, in George Floyd? How do you not see your brother? Your cousin? I don't know. My brother and my cousins aren't ingesting fentanyl, resisting. Why would I see myself in George Floyd? Why would, what person goes, I really see myself in this drug addict and this person that's been arrested and, and, and faced jail since nine times. Why would I see, why am I forced to see myself? Because, oh, we have a, a sim similar melanin complexion. It tells you what they think of you, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates. This morning's discussion question, are there anti-black black people? I think you, most of you may know that voice. The first voice was Candace Owens. I forgot the name of the other um, two people. Well, well, the other black guy um, that you heard on that cut. But Candace Owens, to a degree, I would think most of the, our community, if you will, would consider her to a degree, the poster child of this morning's discussion. And obviously you hear um, her talking about the George Floyd, which obviously was near and dear um, to the country's heart, not, not just the black community, if you will, with everything that happened, um, especially the younger people um, kind of bucked, if you, if you will, in a way that our generation uh, uh, quick 
typically did not. And so obviously we remember that time and obviously uh, the words that she speak can, can, in her perspective, can definitely be a little disheartening based on how we remember that moment. Um, I'm actually going to get the caller in with me as well, and I'll give some more thoughts to that cut. But let's get the caller who's been on hold for a little here. Area code 912, last three, 913. Give us your name, where you're calling from, and your three cents on this morning's discussion question. Thank you for calling in. Morning, brother. This is Vaughn. How you doing, sir? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for calling in. What you got for us? Good. Yeah, man, you know, um, it's interesting listening to those calls, and sometimes I get the impression that some of those personalities or those talking heads, they get paid to say the things that the establishment would like to say, but it would be viewed as racist if they say it, so they pay some black person. It seems like that they pay some black person to say the things that they wish they could say or just to per- just to push the message, the message that they would like to push. Um, but aside from that, go ahead. I'm sorry, did you have? No, 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 no. Please, no, no. Please finish, finish, finish. Please finish. Uh, in addition to that, I, I was going back, just looking to what you were saying earlier, and thinking about the Anderson Cooper doll study from 2010. And this is done on a, this is this comes on the heels of a doll study that was done back in like the 60s, 50s or 60s, I think. But um, they were showing that grade school children had a a predisposition to um, a bias toward lighter skin, which if you flip that, it means a bias away from darker skin. That in and of itself is the definition of anti-blackness. So if that's happening at, in the formative years of our children, you know, which what zero to eight years old, you figure if this happening um, that early in their lives, I mean, those, those programs are, are locked in for the most part in most people. Um, there are some people obviously who could be educated away from that, but for the general populace, I would think that, the overwhelming majority will never escape that that dynamic. Um, does that answer the question? Oh no, that's fair. That's fair. What I will what I will say to what you just said though, um, the I do agree that it's difficult to escape that dy- dynamic from the standpoint that the exposure to, in a sense, how you may or may not see yourself, it clearly tells us that there is, is something that, in a sense, children are being exposed to sooner than we think. I will say, um, and, I, and I'm familiar with the study that you're talking about, um, you know, very specifically, and it's it, I shouldn't say it surprised me. It didn't surprise me at all. Um, the, the, I, I will say the numbers were not the same as in the 50s, if you will. Um, you know, they were not the same, but they were still, as you said, right. still highly in favor, you know, that in a sense, even black children, if you will, were predisposed to it's still picking some of them still picking the white doll and if you will and um right um there is information out there that even in us discussing it because it definitely seems alarming to our community right uh and that and that doll test was specifically used in the um speaker versus board of education uh, which led to you know eventually led to school integration um and i will say there's some information out there that that psychology is not as simple as we understand it. So I still have some, you know, if you will, some to learn on it as well. However, it was disturbing to know that only within the last, I think that one you're talking about may have been like in the last eight to 10 years that, that, that was still like 10. Yep. Okay. Yep. So yeah, like, yeah, actually about, yeah. So yeah, 2013 years ago. So with that, with that said, what I, what I would take from it, is 
now that we have an opportunity and are no longer having, if you will, to fight for school desegregation or that, in a sense, we know that our ancestors were fighting for that, what that study tells me now is how important it is for us as parents to make sure we are doing things so that our black children specifically are not predisposed to that, if that makes sense. It's almost like absolutely raising children, in a sense, I know is hard enough in itself, and you can get caught up in it and not realize that, you know, and even that study reminds me, you probably may have seen this, maybe about a year or a year and a half ago, but the one, you know, obviously we're in the social media age, but the one little black girl that was so upset about her hair at and saying yep. that she was ugly, and then the uh, like her aunt yep. maybe was combing her hair, and that really went viral, and that was super disturbing to see. But my mind went immediately to the study that you're referring to now, and what I would like to highlight is in the age of information, as parents, we can be the biggest controllers of that. Whereas for our ancestors, based on their circumstances. They didn't have, if you will, as much control of that happening, if that makes sense. So I would even offer yes. the numbers being improved since the 1950s, but not highly improved. It it would, in my opinion, to puts a lot of onus on us. What do you think about that? Just from the standpoint of having to pay attention, because I always highlight, even in the public school system your child may still stay predisposed to that because they're not going to see enough of themselves. So as parents, we can control that. What do you think about that, King? Yeah, I think all of the onus is on us. Uh, if your child comes up deficient in any way, that really is your responsibility. So, uh, as a, so I agree with you 100%. I will say this to that. Um, I think emotions are more powerful than logic. And That's so – uh, when when you have something deeply rooted in the psychosis or in the psychology of a child, it's incredibly difficult to overcome. Um, I don't think it's impossible to overcome. I think I've right. overcome some things. I'm sure you've overcome some things. Uh, but, I, but I don't think that that's the norm. I don't think the average person overcomes. I agree. I agree 100%. Thing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I, I, I'll land on that. But, yeah, ultimately, yes, it is our responsibility. Yes, it can be overcome. No, most won't overcome it. Yep, and be, and because of that, it, it makes me reiterate the importance of us making sure that that doesn't happen with our children. And I would offer it's not that hard. Like, like it's not that what, – what I'm saying is you're absolutely right that in the event that somehow your child doesn't see enough of themselves and doesn't have the proper esteem and some of it's based on the imagery that they're seeing outside of the school, but – I would also say that within the public school system, they're not going to see enough of themselves. So I would offer that doing something about it is relatively easy, but to your point, in the event that you that, that happens, and because it's psychology, you're not even aware of it, and that failure is extremely right. difficult to overcome. So once we recognize how difficult it is, to me, that's how we got to get on it. Like, for the children that I've mentored and mentor, I make sure they see themselves. I'll give you just a quick little example of exactly what you're talking about. I remember this one little kid I was mentoring. He was, was, was a kindergarten, a first grader. But either way, um, we make sure – it was an international school, so we had all kind of diversity, if you will, within the um, 
the after school program, if you will. But it was one particular, you know, black boy that I took to or whatever. And one time, one day he comes up to me and he's reading a comic book and he literally brings the Green Lantern to me. And that particular comic book had one of the black Green Lanterns. I don't know if you're familiar with DC Comics and all that kind of stuff or whatever. But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of Green Lanterns, right? But that's not necessarily how, you know, the Green Lantern is introduced to you. So he came up to me just right. kind of on his own accord, highlighting, highlighting how um, this this Green Lantern should be white, and I had to explain to him that one there's many Green Lanterns, and I just basically said, no, doesn't have to be. We're superheroes too, and this was a first grader questioning what he had always seen. And I'm saying what he always seen. I'm not saying that that's the problem. I'm not even highlighting that. That's just a superhero being introduced however or wherever he may have seen it. But he just liked those type of books. And he was so shocked on his own, he came up. And, of course, you know, I tried to do what little part I could to groom him to make him understand that that was okay, too. But he actually saw it as something wrong. And so, again, I'm highlighting what you do at home can save your child from only seeing right one way, if that makes sense. Um, if you will, King, I still got you on. I don't know if you um, have any thoughts to that, but I just thought that example actually fits into that example, that exact study that you're talking about. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 100%, and it's, it's so powerful that you were able to redirect him and introduce him to another way of looking at it. Um, and, and I think that is kind of like your, they say culture is the, is your immune system against insanity, right? And, and so if if you don't have people like that, um, like you were to him, to introduce you to the idea that there's another way to look at it, you know, oftentimes you don't ever get a chance to look at it and evaluate it in a different way. And, and I think that that's what's missing uh, to a large degree. But even, I think even more, as important is the fact that that was ingrained in his mind as the quote unquote standard. Already, so how, however, right, no. right, and that's Already what my point grade. is. Yeah, let me um, yep. run back. Um, if you got any time, because um, and for other callers out there, if y'all want to get in, all you have to do is press one, we will get you in. But I wanted to even, you know, talk about the cut, if you will, because Candace Owens is, you know, unfortunately, I would say, considered the poster child to what we're talking about in a sense. And again, I'm not a huge fan of her particular words in respect to George Floyd. But I'll tell you, the funny thing is, I literally just had a conversation, if you will, about George Flores with one of my um, classmates from college who was highlighting, I guess, there's a George Bill, George Floyd Bill, I guess, being pushed through Congress. I don't know how far it's got. But I remember um, he called me and he was like, um, I can't believe that that's the name of the bill. Um, and kind of similar to what she was alluding to was, in a sense, Floyd's background and you know initially he was upset just kind of saying you know is that a, a is that a decent representative you know is that a a good representative why would we in a sense highlight you know this this bill and put it under the name and I had to you know give him another context because here's where I disagree with her regardless of how you may feel about Candace if you will where, where I would disagree with her 
is is kind of in the same way that I responded to my friend. I told him, you know, I didn't have a problem with the bill being that name that way, and he was shocked that that was my response. And I just simply said, um, the Miranda law, um, you know, that guy confessed and actually did it, but we call it the Miranda law because, it, in a sense, it was the tipping point on creating a correct procedure for policing. And I don't even know what's all in the George Floyd bill, if you will, uh, but at the end of the day, you know, not hard to argue that what in, what it ultimately ended up happening to him wasn't necessary, despite, again, how Candace Owen or even any of us feel about that particular situation, regardless of what side of you are on of it. But I just highlighted to my good friend that that was the tipping point. So it, it made sense. If the Miranda law was called what it is, it made sense that whatever they're pushing for to be in the George Floyd bill. And I'm assuming it's having, again, maybe something to do with correct procedures and things of that nature. Then what I would, what I challenged him, and let me see what you think about this, Brian. Uh, what I challenged him was not only just, not just because the Miranda law was named after someone who actually did what they confessed to, not just simply because of that. And that that makes sense because it's the tipping point. But the part that I was trying to wake him up to mostly in regards to today's show was, at the end of the day, proper procedures and equal protection of the law, which is what our ancestors was most focused on, even at the time of integration. I think I've done a show where people get lost on what the real focus on is, you know, not necessarily being cool or you know, loving the white people or anything like that. It was just the equal protection of the law so that you would have fair opportunity at citizenship. And so when when you understand that it could be named the George Floyd Bill because that's the tipping point and you understand that correct procedures should be used whether you are a criminal or not, then you don't relate it to, I don't want this particular black person to represent me. And that's where I think Candace goes awry, even in that perspective at that time that we're caught up. Because in my eyes, I would offer that being concerned at who's representative, who's the representative of this particular law, where we saw somebody, you know, lose their lives on lives on camera. That if I'm worried about that, I'm worried about that because I'm thinking too much of what others think. It's not that he represents me, but. Why am I worried about it being him, or why are we saying he's some type of hero? And again, I'm not—I don't know. Again, I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. I want to get a quick thought. I do got to go to break, Bun. But if you want to just give me a thought on that, if you will, and then we're going to go to break. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. I think the only man, I—I—I I, I, I feel you 100%. The only problem I have with the George Floyd thing is that it seems like they made a mockery of the struggle of black people. Like they know that this is a real issue. And they could have chosen a much better representative than George Floyd. Um, it's unfortunate that it landed on him, but it's still fortunate that we got the you know legislation enacted. So it's a double-edged sword almost. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll let you land there. I'll let you land there. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't worry about. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't worry about in a sense who represents us. I worry about equal protection of the law. And so if those things need to be passed in his name, that I don't give a damn because. If there are some things that they're not doing correctly and and we get that stuff in place and it is better for all citizens, that's all I'm a fan of, regardless of, quote, unquote, who the representation of. And, again, I'm just kind of going from the standpoint that I don't care what others think of 
that man. I just want the equal protection of the law. All right, we'll be right back. We're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. For the other callers out there, if you want to be like Ron and get on this discussion, you do have to press 1. For anyone else out there listening, the number to get in is 646-787-1691. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. Have you heard the adage that a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, meet Livy Blue Photography, a premier company specializing in capturing your family portraits and turning them into wall art that stands the test of time. One visit to their website, LivyBlue.com, and you will immediately be blown away by the experience as you peruse their gallery. The lead photographer, Jolivia Northern, is a published photographer with over 10 years of experience in capturing families, weddings, and school senior portraits. If you want a breathtaking photography experience, contact Livy Blue Photography at LivyBlue.com. That's L-I-B-I-B-L-U-E.com. Being spewed by Scott Adams, the Dilbert guy, about black Americans. Watch this. But I have to say... Uh, This is the first political poll that ever changed my activities. I don't know that that's ever happened before. Normally you see a poll, you just look at it, and you go, ah, whatever. (laughs) Oh, this is interesting what other people think. But as of today, I'm going to re-identify as white because I don't want to be a member of a hate group. I'd accidentally joined a hate group. So if if, nearly half of all blacks... Uh, are not okay with white people, according to this poll, not according to me, according to this poll, uh, that's a hate group. That's a hate group. And I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I would say, you know, based on the current way things are going, the best advice I would give to white people is to get the hell away from black people. Just get the fuck away. Wherever you have to go, just get away. Because there's no fixing this. This can't be fixed. Right? This can't be fixed. You just have to escape. So that's what I did. I went to a neighborhood where you know I have a very low black population. Because unfortunately, the, you know, there's a high correlation between the density. And this is according to Don Lemon, by the way. Um, so here I'm just quoting Don Lemon when when he notes that the when he lived in a uh, mostly black neighborhood, there were a bunch of problems that he didn't see in white neighborhoods. So even Don Lemon sees a big difference in your own quality of living based on where you live and who's there. So I, I think it makes no sense whatsoever as a uh, white citizen of America to try to help black citizens anymore. It doesn't make sense. It's no longer a rational impulse. And so I'm, I'm going uh, to back off from being helpful to black America because it doesn't seem like it pays off. Like I've been doing it all my life, and I've been, the only outcome is I, be, I get called a racist. That's the only outcome. <laughs> it makes no sense to help black Americans if you're white. Uh, the, the, it's over. Don't, don't even think it's worth trying. Totally not trying. Now, we should be friendly. Like, I'm not saying start a war or, you know, do anything bad. Nothing like that. I'm just saying get away. Just get away. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, 
Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host. Got my co-host on now, Latrice Ross. Thank you, Queen, for being with me as we're discussing are there anti-black black people? Uh, no, no. Thank you again. Thank you, Queen, for getting on with me. I uh, don't know if you're already familiar with Scott Adams, the um, creator of Dilbert, the comic Dilbert, uh, but you're hearing, I guess, a comment that I would assume has went viral. I don't watch a lot of TV, but I happen to catch this cut because a good friend of both of ours, <laughs> if you will, um, Shelly Winters, mentioned it in on one of his page, and I said, let me go look up and see what this thing is talking about. And to be fair, I don't have all of the context. I just took the clip from another broadcast, so I don't know if that's his full rant or not. Um, uh, but Queen, thank you for getting on with us, if you will. Uh, just give a quick background, because I think your background is very important to today's discussion, so just you know, do a one-liner for us, if you will, and we'll kind of jump in on that cut, because I have some thoughts that I want to share in reference to that cut and hear your thoughts, and I also got Bun out there as well. He may want to get on on that discussion as well, but thank you, Queen, for being with us this morning. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Cool, cool, cool. Quick background. You know, the background matters for this discussion, so I want to make sure people okay, know that sure. you're not just here, you know, helping me talk, if you will. Absolutely. So I'm a um, diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. I work with organizations to help them figure out how to cultivate more equity and inclusion in their um, workplaces so that everyone has um, an equitable opportunity to advance. No, I love it. So have have you, did you is that your first time hearing that cut? Have you heard anything about it? Because I just came across it just and that's how the, you know, the universe always works. When I'm preparing for a show, stuff will just kind of fall in my lap. So to really that literally just fell in my lap last night at three in the morning when I was working on the show. So I don't even know if you've even seen it or heard what I was playing because I know you jumped in when the cut was playing. Did you? Has you heard that yeah, before? I, already? I have. Okay, cool. So I you're all familiar with it. All right, sounds good. Mm-hmm. So what I want to do is I want to share uh, a thought. Our good friend Shelly Winters had about that cut. I actually responded to them to him as well. So I'm going to say his thoughts, give you my response, and I want to hear your thoughts. So again, mm-hmm. that was Scott Adams for you, all of out there listening. And so clearly, he said some things that obviously are going to be considered quite provocative, if you will. And so our friend Shelly Winters, uh, over at Word on the Street, his thoughts was Scott Adams' video represents the start of the decline of white guilt and the dawn of white, we don't give a bleep what you think of me, and quite honestly, refreshing as beep. So I'm pretty sure that doesn't surprise you based on... Not at all. Not at all. So here's my response. Again, I wanted to get your thoughts on his thoughts and mine, not just his thoughts alone. And so what I typically... But I responded, quite long response. I simply said, I'm sure you meant the reemergence of this long-time phenomenon in our country for most of its history, surely not the dawn of. If I had to guess, you equate Adam's rant in some way to Frederick Douglass being asked what should be done to help the Negro and him replying nothing. I deeply admire Douglass and completely understand his sentiments at that time. However, I have yet seen any black person who COVID, who covets the quote from Douglas acknowledge the concerted effort not to leave the Negro or black people alone via continued impediments, even more so than any help that has ever been offered. Although there was that 12-year period after emancipation, which our ancestors made great strides until the country pulled the U.S. military out of the South 
at which point the terror and legal impediments return. Ultimately, quotes sound great in theory, but reality often exposes their fallacy. It is silly to equate economic issues to any race, but of course, this country will kill itself to hang on to that narrative. So not sure how refreshing something we constantly rehash can be, but if you think so, I guess. And I ended it with, although I do agree with us living near other black people by choice and don't mind Adams choosing to live around other whites by choice, again, my only point is this is old news. Your thoughts, Queen? Um, hey, part of what Scott Adams stated was that, you know, what he he alluded to having done things for black people. And and I guess my question would be to him, what has he done? Because living amongst black people, you can live where you want to live. That doesn't necessarily mean that you're helping us. Help us by creating equitable opportunity for, for, for progress. Help us by stopping the police from over-policing our communities. Living in a black community is supposed to do what to help us? Feel better because the white faces amongst the black faces? I don't think so. So that question absolutely popped in my head, and so I definitely understand, in a sense, if you will, wanting to ask, but I will even throw out for the sake of today's dialogue and see if you can work with me here. Again, I want to go as deep as possible, but even that question, if my, in my opinion, doesn't apply to are there anti-black black people in, 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 from this standpoint. One, we don't know his answer, but that did cross my mind as well. You know, yeah, when he said it, yeah, what have you actually done? I, because of his stance now, we probably would assume it's not much of what we think it should be, but that's, again, he's not here's the answer. So moving away from what he's done, I'm just highlighting really more of the idea of Shelly, our good friend, being intentional, saying, hey, this rant is out there. I actually find it if you will, refreshing, I highlighted that uh, same old, same old, mm-hmm. this country has done this for such a very long time, but in a sense, Shelly taking, quote unquote, well, she doesn't mind, taking that risk to say, hey, I see this as refreshing, will also put him in a light that fits in today, into today's discussion, if oh, you will. Shelly always fits in that light. That's, I mean, he's... Okay. The, Here you go. Let me, let, me, let me say this before you do that. Let me say this. Let me say this because I'm going one more step further. So the step further mm-hmm. is not personally. Again, he knows what he's doing. He's very brilliant at being a, a media person. So very brilliant. Being anti-black. Uh, here we go. See you, now you cut in. I told you not to cut in. I know. <laughs> All right. Because I want you to listen. It's the next step that I'm going. So mm-hmm. the next step is. So the next step is me moving it to the conversation of I don't mind what Adam's saying at all. Let's call it what has always been in this country, but the next step is not giving a damn. That's what I mean by I also advocate that we, I would say, insulate. I'm not going to go too deep into the definition of what I mean by insulate, but I love live living near my own. I love living in Atlanta. <laughs> I live here by choice. I, I'm saying I don't see Adam saying much different and not focused on Adam as much. And, again, I'm only talking about this because Shelly, doing what he does, brought it to my attention literally by accident, but I'm highlighting the next 
stage of are there anti-black people, we can get caught up on focus, focused on, if you will, Shelley's intention. And I'm saying the next step is that's not a problem either. What's your response to that, if that makes sense? So, so Shelly isn't a problem. He's a, he's a, Again, he's a non-issue. Again, I'm make it personal. That's so, what I'm trying to say. Right, no, I'm, I'm, but I'm, but let, me, let me finish. Uh, that's fair. That's fair. So, so he and others of his ilk, they do the things they do for their personal motivations. As far as I'm concerned, particularly because of the work I do, I don't focus on those people who have that type of perspective about black people because I I know that they're not doing the work to improve our community. Um, oftentimes they resort to shaming or trying to ridicule black black people for the things that we encounter in life. Um, to me it's more important to focus on those those people and those opportunities to bring about change. So, so my only like issue with anti-black black people is that um, they help white people like Scott Adams further the narrative about black people that's incorrect. That's the only so, thing that I – that's the only problem ahead. I have with people like that. So the conversation that we're having now, if you – I think you did agree that – I don't have to concern myself with Adam's position because I admit, similar to him, I love living near black people by choice. So when I reduce it simply to that, I'm not even truly bothered by what Adams is saying. But we are in an era now, because I did, I took this for one broadcast, I don't watch TV, but I'm pretty sure this is blowing up and becoming a thing. And even the broadcast that I got it from was a a, a white guy saying, you know, how racist it was and, and that we got to let people know that people like this exist. And in my eyes, stroking the the consistent idea of, wow, look at how they think of us and calling it a problem. But then as I'm saying, on the flip side, one, I don't care and I'm making the same choice. And so I would offer that there's an aspect of the way Shelly couched it challenges to see it in a different way. And it's not about whether I'm agreeing. I'm just highlighting that part of the today's dialogue is challenging us not to, one, worry about a Scott Adams because that's the best place to be in. And mm-hmm. one other line that I started to put in the post that I said, responded to him, I actually took it out, was the idea that we know that, you know, even we were talking about this earlier, the um, – Board of Education case, you know, where we, in a sense, desegregated the schools. You and I have talked about this before. We know that the school systems, if you will, have pretty much resegregated kind of by where people choose to live or some people leave certain areas. You know, white flight was a real thing even during those times. And so to a degree, the South, if you will, is, is in a sense, somewhat resegregated, if you will. The Midwest has really never been that desegregated just based on the numbers. And so when we realize that we kind of live in our own neighborhoods anyway, when I say parkour, not only is it shocking for this man to make this decision, but I have no concern with fighting or when we say what Shelly's doing is making it okay for them, 
I think is okay whether Shelly brought this to our attention or not. And I'm just kind of getting to the space of why be concerned when this is what the country's already been doing. Your thoughts on that, Queen? I got Brother Vaughn. I'm going to get in there as well. So, you know, why be concerned is because the whole goal of, when you look at what I do, going into the workplace and and trying to create equitable cultures. So if if you are, if one is constantly buying into the theories that Scott Adams and and Shelley Winter profess to have about black people, then you have folks who may have the opportunity in the workplace to promote someone to a higher level in the organization. That those thoughts contribute to the unconscious bias that keeps folks that look like me and you from progressing as much because they, they feed the narrative that black people are violent, that black people are less intelligent, that black people are less worthy of holding those roles and positions. So I can't trust a black person to be promoted into this role or to pay them more money in this role because they're not going to be able to solve the problem that I need that role to solve. So that's when I, when I see positions posted like that, particularly from black people, that's immediately where I go to because they're feeding that narrative. And for a white person looking in and say, oh, well, this black person said it, so it must be true because they're black too. And so that's the part of it. That little teeny part of it mm-hmm. weighs so heavily on the decisions that may be made in the world that I work in. Now, that makes sense. So that's even the harm. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were finished. Go ahead, Queen. No, I said that's the harm that it brings. Now, that's, yeah, because you even heard him allude to Don Lemon said it. So that is definitely something that is used quite often. I'm going to let Brother Vaughn, who's still on the line, for all the callers out there, y'all can get in. If it's your first time, you do have to press one. I know that's unique when you're calling shows or some people listen via the phone. So if you want to get in, you do have to press the number one. I hope y'all are hearing that if you're trying to have a discussion with us. Uh, Brother Vaughn, your thoughts? Um, obviously, myself and Latrice kind of got brought different perspectives to it. Um, your thoughts on what you're hearing, King? Are you still there, bro? I don't know if you still want to be on with us. Uh, he may have stepped away. Okay, well, let's keep this conversation going. We're actually up against another break, and this next cut will start us in a different direction. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Have you heard about that podcast, Mental Dialogue? It's so good, it should be illegal. But if you miss the live show every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Blog Talk Radio, be sure to catch replays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, and all other streaming platforms. We are the return of intelligent radio, and we are the best in the world at having hard conversations on race, sex, gender, and business in the African-American community. And remember, all I ask is that you think. I feel like hate crimes are at an all-time high. Racism and bigotry is at an all-time high because of Donald Trump, sir. Uh, bigotry? Bigotry? I think you mean niggertry is at an all-time high. There ain't no bigotry going on under President Donald Trump. He done cured racism. We in a raceless society right now. The only bigotry and niggertry you see is what you're doing to yourself. Case number one, Mr. Jesse Smollett. Now, there's a nigger who paid a nigger to beat him. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. 
I enjoy seeing any black man get beat down by another black man. But he brought that on to himself. Don't call it bigotry. Call it niggatry. And it's brought on by you. If you look around you right now, you'll just see smiling, smiling colored folks living the dream, living the life that they've always wanted to live. And because of one man, a man whose heart is as big as his hands, Mr. President, Mr. President, Donald Trump, sorry, Mr. President. I'm really feeling like the only Negroes you be around is Diamond and Silk. No, uh, now, now them, them, them two women I can respect right now. Them two smart colored women. Now, I don't, you, you know me, I don't like colored folks. I got a real problem with them. But Dom, oh, them some smart colored folks. If they, could, if they could go out on a tour right now and teach the rest of y'all how to act, I would pay for it. I'd pay for it for, with, the, with the expansive tax cuts that I got from Mr. President, Mr. President, Donald Trump, Mr. President. So. Let me ask you about a few colored people. Uh, yes, sir. Since you love Diamond and Silk, what about Candace Owens? Oh. Let, me, let me tell you about some colored folks that I will discuss. Because you're trying to get me riled up in here. Let's talk about the pre- colored folks that y'all done nominated to get run for a president. Okay. Let's talk about them. Okay. Let's talk about them colored folks. All right, let's talk Mr. about... Mr. Charlemagne okay. the God. All right, what do, you th- what do you think about Mr. Cory Booker? <laughs> Even niggas don't like Cory Booker. Welcome back to the Mr. Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, are there anti-black black people? As you hear, Aaron Magruder, if you're familiar with the character, or caricature, if you want to call him that, Uncle Ruckus, as you just hear, the Breakfast Club, a parody they used some, you know, a couple of years ago. And hear him spy out Spout out, if you will, um, again, that that quote-unquote self-hatred is uh, that cut out. One part I cut out of the cut was he was saying, I'm not black. I got the I got the same disease as Michael Jackson, but the opposite. I'm actually white, and it turned my skin black. So Aaron Magruder is basically definitely making a mockery of, in a sense, the Uncle Ruckuses. You know, in the past, we would misused the term Uncle Tom in the past and called people Uncle Tom's not understanding Uncle Tom was the, the hero in in Uncle Tom's cabin. If you actually read the story, so we would misuse it. But in a sense, people don't say Uncle Tom anymore, but people will refer to this caricature. Uh, I would highlight this, and Latrice would like to get your thoughts. I want to share something else as well. But I would highlight that I think in Aaron Magruder's brilliance, I think to a degree it is easy for him to come up with the things this character might say because it does a lot of those things do fit a narrative that has long been held in this country. And I do agree to a, to a point that absolutely it lets someone prop up. Oh, I saw this person say it. So as you said, so it must be true. And so that is an awareness for, in a sense, someone expressing, and again, this is a term that I'm trying to come to, to come to come to grips with, but expressing anti-blackness, it absolutely makes it okay, and I do see the harm in that. Your thoughts, Queen, again, just sharing this caricature, but highlighting why I think Aaron Magruder is able to do it so easily because some of these narratives have long been held in our country. Go ahead, Queen. I, I don't have any. I don't disagree with that statement. I do believe that it's that that 
statement is true, but even if you look at the Uncle Walker's character, I think the James Baldwin quote here is is important, is adequate to describe. And it's, it, the quote is, the reason people think it's important to be white is that they think it's important not to be black. Um, and I think that fits. Um, I think it fits Uncle Walker's. I think it fits Shelley Winters and others of their ilk. Um, I don't want no more personal attacks on this show. Why are we doing personal attacks? It wasn't, I, it wasn't personal. It was others of his. It's not a personal yeah, fact when you're stating facts. It is, what I what I mean is, I want to talk about ideas, <laughs> and well, I let's, actually let's don't, go. Yeah, here it is. I appreciate the brother putting it up on his page to create the dialogue to say, okay, how should we receive it? How should we look at each other? And again, I think this is great dialogue. So I ain't with the. The, the name called well, I really you can appreciate me. that, but because of the work I do, I cannot appreciate that because okay, it creates that's fine, but more I'm difficulty you do, for me. You can talk about the idea. You ain't got to keep saying that. I just want to put it in folks' psyche the well, same no, way you, you put yeah, stuff in folks' psyche. You want to personally attack. I'm separating from yeah. the personal attack. No, but so. what he does, is he puts Why you keep saying he, misnomers. They so, let's just, put these let's, misnomers. Yeah, there we go. I like that. I typically hate the word they, but let's use they today. <laughs> I do too. That's why I didn't use it. They, those people, I'm going to use what, what, what's been used with us, those people put these misnomers into folks' head and they create um, more challenges for us. They, they, they continue to feed that narrative that black people are less than white people, that black people are less intelligent than black people, than white people, that black people are, are less, are, are more violent than, than white people without looking at the root cause of some of the actions that you see in our community. But further than that, looking around and seeing that it's not just in our community. Someone, someone made a post about Grant Cardone earlier this week, and they said maybe, maybe what Grant Cardone said was true. And I'm like, dude, really? Are you you becoming an anti-black black man? Was my response. Well, um, um, so Grant Cardone made the statement, and I don't have it. He essentially says that he dumbs down the, when he's when he's marketing and targeting young black people who are his primary followers. Okay, I, I he that part. speaks he speaks in very simple nomenclature. Okay, no I, remember, I did remember that. I did hear that part. Okay, I hear that part. And so, so let me just—I'm just trying to understand the the part that you said. Well, somebody, I guess, a black person piped in and said, "Baby, it's true." I was trying to connect the dots. And so you, so let me see if I'm understanding. So that's how he's trying to reach, you know, obviously a particular um, target audience. And you're saying that mm-hmm. um, that the there's a black person saying that. Um, that maybe is true. What do you, and I'm just trying to understand what is you, what is that black person trying to say? That's what I, I guess. That's hard for me to get it from the black. So here, the post was the world, you know, other people looking at what's happening in Russia, in Ukraine, looking at other things that's going on in the world, and then black. He he, he said black people, and then they, they were talking about Migos coming out. With yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 yeah. I know the Grant Cadon. I'm just not miss. I'm missing what you think. Well, I don't know what the black person is agreeing to. I'm just misunderstanding when he says it's agreeing true. Agreeing that Grant Cardone's statement about black people being simple and not being able to understand intelligently, okay. perhaps that's true. 
Oh, okay. Now, yeah, I was trying to, because again, this, my, I'm focused on the black person and then they're being anti-black. Okay, I get it now. So they're saying, so they're just saying, regardless of what, in a sense, what Grant said, this black person is offering that black people in general are just simple. Like he's willing to, mm-hmm. unfortunately, plank that blanket and kind of reinforce these stereotypes mm-hmm. that are absolutely not the case because, as you said, um, um, you know, painting that blanket reinforces it. So, yeah, you're sitting here, goes, here comes a black person that comes right along and just generalizes that black people are simple. Okay, now I understand. I was just trying to understand what the black person is saying. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are up against the break, so we're going to go to this top of the hour break. I see a lot of callers out there. If y'all are just enjoying yourselves listening, no problem. If you want to get in, you do have to press 1 to let us know you want to speak. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. Hey, where did you get that hat and t-shirt? I like that. Oh, I got this at moneymotivation.com. It's fresh, right? Yes, and I love the message on it, too. You are the hustle, huh? That's what the shirt says. I am the hustle. They embody the entrepreneurial spirit, and what I like the most, it's more than a brand. It's a lifestyle for those who want to put in the work and expect to have the final things in life. I also follow them on Instagram. Check this post out. If you believe money is the root of all evil, you're using it wrong? Or how about this one? Excuses made zero dollars an hour. I like those. What's their IG? At moneymotivation.co. But do they have any ladies gear? Yes, you're going to love the clothing line they got for the ladies. Matter of fact, pull up their website, moneymotivation.com, and I'm going to get you a few things so we can both look like money. Everywhere I go, go. Everywhere I be, be. I don't even talk, talk. They still go with me. Because I look like money. Smell like True Seekers, please understand, Mental Dialogue is much more than just a talk show. Each and every Saturday, we communicate with you for two reasons, to dialogue and connect. On the dialogue side, we cater to you intellectual outcasts who feel you have no place for honest discourse on race, sex, culture, and African-American business. On the connect side, we've created a community where you can connect with experts specifically in finance, whether personal or business, and mental health, whether it's trauma or to optimize performance along with all the other skill sets from other MD community members. Our mission was to create a virtual nationwide neighborhood where African Americans learn to trade ideas, goods, and services through social media, meetups, and this podcast. To become a neighbor of the Mental Dialogue Community Club, please visit us at mentaldialogue.com. We are better with you than we are without you. We can be neighbors even though we don't live next to each other. Hashtag raise the culture. Wasn't that the turn for our polling station? Uh, well, I know, young man. Uh, see, we, we know a uh, shorter route to your uh, to our Democratic polling station. You know how us Democrats like a shortcut, like government spending to prop up the economy. Those are more we love than those uh, federal programs. <laughs> you two are Democrats, aren't you? What? <laughs> <laughs> of course we are. I mean, you see the color of our skin, don't you? How can we not? Blindly vote Democratic. I mean, that would be ridiculous. Whatever. All I know is my polling place closed in 15 minutes. Well, why? That would be terrible. Awful. I mean, how are you going to elect tax and spend politicians if you can't vote? It's hard enough to vote with all those voter ID laws. Republicans. Arrgh! Gosh darn Republicans. I know, I'm just like, grrrr! Uh, Douglas? Right. You know, if there were any Republicans here, whoa, I'd be pissed. 
I'd be royally pissed. Me too. In fact, I would take their hard-fought principles and I'd shove it right up their keister. We seem to be driving in circles. Uh, don't worry, we're almost there. Look, it appears we've hit somebody. We should get out and help him. Oh, 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 oh my leg. Oh, oh my leg. Oh, 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 there you go. Oh, oh, I am pissed. What? I'm royally pissed. Now, although it was only this one man's fault, I will be using all of your tax dollars <gasps> to get healthy thanks to the Affordable Health Care Act. I know it doesn't seem fair, but that's supposedly the law of the land nowadays. That's, that's what I've heard. You don't look that hurt. Why are you wearing those same leather jackets and those dad jeans? First. Oh. Black Republican mother Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host and diversity consultant Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, are there anti-black black people? So obviously the quite impossible to have this conversation without asking this question, Latrice, and I'll get, as you hear, a cut from Key and Peel for those who are not familiar with um, those guys, um, a skit from them. But we could not have this conversation without asking this question, Latrice, and I want to hear your thoughts. Why are many black conservatives categorized as self-hating black people? just want to hear your thoughts to that question, if you will, Queen. Why are they categorized as self-hating black people? Because they... Yeah, that's the question. Go ahead. So so, so what's the question again? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It says, why are many black conservatives categorized as self-hating black people? As you, again, as we hear the cut from Key and Peele playing playing the role, if you will, but why are many categorized as self-hating black people, in your opinion? I think that you can be a black conservative and not be categorized as self-hating. Um, I think it's the perspectives that they take on black issues that contribute to them being classified in that manner. If you're a black conservative and you can acknowledge that there are inequities in this, that exist in this society, I don't think that you are anti-black. But if you are a conservative and you espouse those values that you think that black people are just lazy and they need to pull themselves up by that proverbial invisible non-existent bootstrap, then absolutely I think you you are countering and you're contributing to the narrative of of anti-blackness and then that black people don't achieve because they're lazy. And so I, I think that there is a distinction between that, but I don't look at I don't look at it as right and left, conservative and, and liberal. I look at it as black and white. So I try to remove the politics for it because there are liberal white people who are anti-black. And I respect that. Now, what about this perspective? And this was kind of alluded to in the cut. Um, I think when they were officially, when they, if you remember in the skit, they kind of. First time they asked him, you are Democrats, right? I guess they were starting to question by the way they were acting, right? And they were like, mm-hmm. of course we are. We're black, aren't we? We, and and, and they want to, uh, you know, to make reference to, in a sense, being democratic simply because they're black. 
And so the flip side of that question becomes, and just want to hear your thoughts on this as well. So the flip side of that question is how many blacks will just assume if someone calls themselves a black conservative or a Republican, as you already highlighted, that's not necessarily your concern, right? But to a degree, we make, if you will, you just treat it as black and white, but we also quite often as a culture just simply treat it black and white and assume just because someone is a Republican that they are against us. I see that quite often when it comes to politics. I think, and I'll put this out for anybody first time listening, I am a huge advocate of, in a sense, quote unquote, more blacks becoming political independents. And so I just need to throw that out there for anyone kind of, you know, just kind of showing where I sit with it. But I still want to hear your thoughts in the sense that as a culture, I think we automatically demonize black Republicans. Your thoughts on that, Quinn? I think that's true, and I think that's because of the the things that the media decides to highlight. Um, and I think a lot of folks don't understand that it's the media's job to get viewers. It's about ratings, not necessarily about truth and honesty. Um, so I, I do agree that there are a lot of a lot of black people who will automatically go to, oh, well, if you're a Repub- black conservative, then you are anti-black. Now, to me, it's about what you profess, your perspectives on things. Um, so I know that I may not look at it. That, that's my perspective, and that's probably very likely not the mainstream way of looking at it. Yeah, because what happens is when I just highlight for, you know, like just even highlight my own position when it comes to the, 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 the politics of it, we're not going to stay on this too much longer. But just to even highlight, because I, I do love highlighting the idea of when I say pushing people in a sense to become more political independents, I vote across party lines. But even just mentioning that sometimes, people will look at me like, you're crazy, and go as far as, that's dangerous. And again, I, I started this show saying how we quite often within our culture will try to push for us to be a monolith, but if someone outside of our culture tries to make us a monolith, like a Scott Adams conversation, if you will, the cut we played with him, then we're usually upset about being pushed as a monolith. But I'm always highlighting when it comes to voting, and we've all heard these numbers, but the reality is, our community historically has been usually all in one way or the, or the other. We know historically our communities were Republicans because, in a sense, they were the emancipation party, if you will, pushing the way for the Civil War to take place, if you will, not necessarily for the Civil War to take place, but pushing for slave, um, enslavement to end. And so clearly we were Republicans, and there's history to the transition but the reality is outside of that transition um, national election, for the most part, we've been one way or the other. And so when we start looking at political interests within the culture, within the race, if you will, because those interests can vary, I always say the advantage that every other race or culture has is by being on both sides of the table, because most of them are Like whites are about 50-50 Hispanics are maybe At one point I think they were 30-70 but now moving more Towards 40-60 and so Just even That dynamic alone Makes you a better power player Because being one-sided Allows one group to 
take advantage of their your assumed vote and the other group saying, well, since I can never get that vote, I won't cater to any of those wishes as well. So I think being all in one way or the other is extremely detrimental when it comes to how to play politics correctly. Just wanted to throw that out because, again, this conversation had to come up in this day's discussion. What, you, what, are, your, what are your thoughts, Lou? I agree. I research each candidate. To me, it doesn't really matter unless, you know, they publicly espouse certain views that go against my values. But it's important for me to understand if a politician aligns with my personal values and my needs. And if he doesn't, then I dismiss him. So, um, but your perspective is, is, is I, I agree with what you just said. Yeah, when I say one last thing and move on from it. And again, just highlighting the vitriol I'll get just for even saying that this is dangerous for black people just kind of speaks to, um, you know, again, we love hard conversations on race, sex, and culture, but I typically stay away from politics and religion because people are so, you know, so held on to their beliefs, you can't really have good discussions, right? But just highlighting, you know, this and kind of leave, to leave this point along is that ultimately, I always highlight if there are political things happening, and mostly locally, because most people focus on the national elections, but locally, if there are political things happening and, say, one party is in, in power in your locality, then you want to know what's happening in the city because this country was set up set up for the business class to run the, the country in a sense, even though, you know, the narrative is, you know, uh, a democracy of the people by the people. But we understand that ultimately the vote and the dollar, you know, in a sense, makes the play. And so to be so predisposed to being on one side or the other and you're upset about an, an initiative that's happening and, it's be, and, it's, and if it's because nobody was on that side, that's a huge risk. But we think just categorizing a black Republican as a anti-black is actually in our favor. And I'm saying it's the risk is not even knowing what's happening in either side. Cause I don't want to, I don't care to be on either side personally. So I don't care who has the initiative, but I don't want any initiative happening without somebody who looks like me in the room. And I'm not assuming that just because someone looks like me, they're for me. I'm, I'm not assuming that, but I do know if there's nobody in there, the chances of me knowing some initiative that's coming down are highly unlikely. I would even highlight that what I'm saying is, for example, when we were, in a sense, first getting into politics, the, 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 when we highlight the highways that were built in the middle of black communities, why I-85 is in the middle of Atlanta, I would highlight it was probably nobody got to notice because we didn't have enough people in government high enough to even know that that was even being done. But I don't, I don't, I know that was not an accident, but we were not too far along in the system or inundated enough to be aware of the goings on. And so a lot of times people will highlight well, politics ain't that important. Local politics rule whether you have a head start or not. So I think we should learn to play the game and not immediately demonize someone just simply because they said they are a Democrat or Republican. So that's a challenge I would offer to our community, if that makes sense. I'm up against the break. For the other listeners out there, please 
hit one. Again, if y'all are still out there listening, so clearly y'all are just enjoying it. I just always, when the show's over, I always get a first-time caller saying, I, I was in there, I was in there, and they're missing me saying, literally, while you're on the phone, press one. All right, Brother Vaughn wants to get back in. We will get him in out of this break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show, where all I ask is that you think. If you need your taxes done, make sure you holler at S. Kind Taxing and Accounting. We'll be right back, where all I ask is that you think. Do you simply want your taxes done this tax season, or do you prefer to have your taxes completed by a professional on top of current and constantly changing tax codes? If so, look no further than S. Kind's Accounting and Tax Services, where each year, plenty of satisfied customers from around the country return for an efficient and professional tax experience. For small businesses, S. Kind's Accounting and Tax not only provides bookkeeping and accounting on a monthly, quarterly, and or yearly basis, but S. Kind's Accounting and Tax goes above and beyond to provide yearly tax strategies to increase the bottom line, profits. While no one likes when Uncle Sam or the IRS comes knocking, know you're in good hands with S-Kind's accounting and tax. Call them today at 770-947-3667. Again, that's 770-947-3667. Or email them at advice at thetaxcoach.com. The media pushes this narrative about black death and there's always this argument, even within our own community, of whether we care about black-on-black murders or not. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here going, we lose 60000 to COVID, and we're told to be concerned with this 30% increase, which is a real thing. But it's a real thing in the neighborhoods that it's happening in. But we take it on as a collective as if we're having this problem. I understand that there was a rise in murders in Chicago. There's been a slight uptick of murders in Atlanta. When I say slight, if you, if I gave you the numbers, it's not a real uptick compared to previous to the pandemic. It's a small uptick. But in Atlanta, we don't live in a high murder rate city. Let's just keep it a buck. But we will we will hear something happen. We will hear Nipsey Hussle get killed in L.A. And I heard people in Atlanta talking about why we always kill ourselves. Well, it's 1% of the L.A. population that's involved in gangs. So 99% of the L.A. population is not. So how is that black people killing themselves? You understand what I'm saying? So I want to just mm-hmm. say, hey, we got this other number that we can just be real dismissive of. The COVID number, you know, we had, what, 75,000, I think, deaths now. But in the first year, it was 60,000. We don't even think about that number. But we have our community out here arguing over something that 99.99% of the community will never be involved in, which is a murder. So that's the, the dialogue I'm really trying to have versus focusing on COVID. I'm just showing how we can be dismissive of this high number and, and we accept the narrative of black-on-black murder when all it really is is there are areas that have high crime. It should be no race associated with high crimes area. It should be called what it is. Black people don't have a problem with black murder as far as having a problem with it, and we are concerned. I've never seen a, a murder happen that a, the few that I know of that everybody in the community wasn't concerned and upset that it happened. But if that criminal is up, you know, apprehended and sentenced fairly and sentenced to jail, there ain't going to be no protest for somebody that's about to go to jail. Like people really have this misconstrued idea of what concern is, and the concern shows up in the work of a teacher taking a lesser salary to ensure that students don't become one of those statistics. Go ahead, King. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. 
I am your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, are there anti-black people? As I played a cut from my YouTube page for my Just My Three Cent podcast, I don't remember exactly when I did that, but I thought that cut was fitting because I know this is an issue of, but we will get to you, but I want to hear Latrice's thoughts on that cut because I know this is an issue that is near and dear to you, Latrice, and I know this is one where we actually agree on, and it's just allowing, you know, high murders in certain areas to, in a sense, be categorized as if this is a problem throughout our community. And people will hear me as if I'm acting as if the areas where there are high murders are not a problem within those communities. Uh, But at the end of the day, that doesn't happen in the majority of black communities. And unfortunately, when it comes specifically to murder, literally less than 1% of our community will ever even one be involved. And there's plenty more numbers to back up what I'm saying. And so when 99% of somebody doesn't do something, I don't know that you could ever categorize as that group has a quote unquote problem, but that is the long standing narrative since the 1970s when the term first came um, came to be, and I'll be accurate about the term. The term was started, in a sense, um, by, um, at least from what I could research in the past, the black-on-black murder, if you will, was mentioned in the 70s by, in a sense, um, some black leaders, if you will, but the narrative got turned into what we know it now to be. And like I said, I'm here in Atlanta, and a famous person gets killed all the way across the country and we'll start talking about, we got a problem. Your thoughts, Queen. Um, you're right. And, and to me that, that type of perspective simply furthers the, the notion of black violence. Um, I think too many of us get caught up in respectability politics. Um, and that's problematic um, because it says to us that if you would just behave the same, if you would behave a certain way, then racism would go away. And that's not true because we've had a generation of people who behaved a certain way and racism didn't go away. And if you mechanisms of racism, of bias, and how they come about, you would know that um, that's not accurate. I was reading a book called Stamped from the Beginning, and, and they, there were some black folk who began, even back then, had was, did a LIGO. And they would showcase these black people saying that, you see, this black person is a well-behaved nigger, and he's now turning white. So if you would just act like him, you too can be white. Damn! But it's only I'm yeah. and I think about it. I'm only saying damn because it's 2023. The, that blatant shit was, was obviously the part of the course back in the day. So I don't even know why I'm tripping. But how long ago was that? Do you know? I'm just I'm just interested. Um, it was it was back when slavery first started. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Because so the, be the book stamp from the beginning talks about. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, it talks about the historical perspective once we when we were brought to this country. Gotcha. That makes sense. So yeah, that's yeah, no surprise at that time. Uh, that that it was being pushed in that way. Let's get Brother Vaughn's thoughts in this conversation as well. Thanks, Brother Vaughn. Um, give, give us your three cents this morning, King. Thanks for joining back in. 
Yes, sir. I apologize. I'm minding out, man. I got a lot going on, but uh, you oh, said no, something. Oh no, no, you don't have to apologize. You you just listen. I'm just I'm just taking advantage of the fact that you that you raising your hand and want to join us. Anybody else listening can join as well. Anybody out there want to get in? Six four six seven eight seven one six nine one. But go ahead, brother Vaughn. Thanks for getting back in. You struck a chord when you asked the question. I hope I'm not going back too far, but you asked a question about why black conservatives are viewed as sellouts or less than black or whatever. And and I think to a larger point, even when Joe Biden was running for president and he was on the breakfast club and he said, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. Right. And so the, the point is that we don't own the narrative on what it means to be black. Blackness or the idea of blackness is pushed by people who don't necessarily have black people's best interests at heart. And then they pair, and then they, you have high-profile celebrities and entertainers and radio show personalities. They all kowtow to that same narrative that's being pushed that promotes a very, um, not just destructive, but I would say non-constructive idea about what it means to subscribe to or what it means to be black. So, um, if you don't play basketball, or if you, you know, if you can't dance, if you can't rap, if you can't, you know, all these. You know, even even the idea that you just shared, it's really, this was so profound when you said you're an independent and you encourage others to be independent. Like, you shouldn't even have to push that as a, as a baseline ideology. Like, who in their right mind wouldn't at least say, okay, let me see who's best for me, rather than 90% subscribing to I'm Democrat, I'm voting blue no matter who. And, and and that whole narrative, again, is pushed by by people who – we don't own the narrative of what it means to be black. I'll land there. No, I love it. I love it. Let's, 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 let's explore what you're saying. I'm going to share this piece from my upcoming book, Re-Education of the Negro, because I think it's fitting right now. But I want to kind of speak to what you just said. And so I want to actually try to take it a step further. So a step further is I, I've done shows on this, and it's the idea of race as a social construct, um, a construct specifically constructed – with a financial gain in mind when it was constructed the way we know it today. Um, you can look throughout history and in a sense, you may see race referred to historically prior to the trans transatlantic enslavement trade, if you will. However, if you really were to look into that context, it, it wasn't seen in the way that we see it today. And so that construct is such that I would even go this far, um, Vaughn, I would go as far as, the the narrative of blackness, since it is a in a sense made up construct, doesn't have to be controlled when we ourselves respect that we're not a monolith completely. Understanding that within media, that narrative will continue to be pushed because of the construct. But as I become aware of that, I now can separate from the influence of it once I become aware of there isn't a narrative that anyone should be able to put. And in my opinion, when you get to that perspective, you are less influenced by those attempts to call label blackness as whatever the media or either political party may choose to do or put out a now unfortunate um, narrative of black on black murder when 99% of black people will never be involved in a murder. Like, it becomes silly when you understand the numbers. Again, that doesn't make no murder inside of our community okay, but it's silly that a race is a 
pushed on something that is literally, as all crimes typically happen, crimes of proximity. Again, somebody may hear me as being dismissive of those issues in those high crime areas. I absolutely am not. As I always point out, I don't mentor these boys because I'm dismissive of those realities, even here in Atlanta. I get the realities. That's why I particularly help in certain neighborhoods because certain neighborhoods have those issues. However, I I can live in neighborhoods where black people treat either just fine, and that's almost a a surprise to the narrative. The narrative is bullshit. Um, Your thoughts, King, again, I I know I said a whole lot to what you had to say, but I'm just highlighting the idea, even moving past the the idea of blackness even can't. It can't be controlled once we understand who we are, is really what I'm saying. Your thoughts, King? I agree with you 100%. I mean, even the, even the idea of whiteness is a, is a social construct. So, um, and I, I guess Absolutely. I should have included that. But, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%. Um, I think just, you know, with the same challenges that we highlighted earlier, um, it's just a matter of, of each one reaching one and, and pushing our own ideas of what's constructive behavior versus destructive behavior. And unfortunately, um, it's an uphill battle because those who have the microphone or the bullhorn even, if you will, are those absolutely. who are being paid to push the opposite narrative. No, absolutely. Got about, a minute before, yeah, yeah, got about a minute before break. Latrice, your thoughts on what we're talking about now? We're going to go to another break. Um, I don't disagree. Like You know, you and I agree on the fact that people should be independent and not prescribed solely to one party or the other. So um, I, I, I totally agree with that. And I absolutely. And I'm getting it. I'm just, I guess, more or less highlighting the idea of even recognizing or separating from the idea of prescribing to what blackness is. Like I spent a, a, a big part of my lifetime actually, you know, remember being in college in these conversations trying to, exp- you know, explain we're okay. Like you get caught up in that whole construct when you, until you realize it's just a construct and not even allowing anyone to define us, even the media, but to Vaughn's point, even though that narrative is constant and it becomes difficult to overcome. But as soon as you realize it, that narrative will never define you. And more of our black children need to learn that and be told that. And sometimes I would offer from the first part of this show, which Vaughn jumped in on, is a lot of us are not on our game to make sure our black minds are okay with the world they may have have to navigate to include the public school system. I'm not caught up in demonizing the public school system. I think the work we can do for them not to go through the system looking at others as more than them, I actually think that work is easier to do today than it's ever been due to the accessibility to showing your children who they are so that the white school system can't just tell them anything if you want to call it, quote, unquote, the white school system, because a lot of times we, we determine that when we're caught up in the construct. So I hope I'm making sense there. We're going to go to break. We'll be right back and listening to the Mental Dialogue talk show, where all I ask is that you think. Number to get in, 646-787-1691. I guess y'all are just enjoying listening out there for the phone callers. No problem. If you want to get in, you do have to press one to get with us. We'll be right back. All I ask is that you think. 
Have you heard the adage that a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, meet Livy Blue Photography, a premier company specializing in capturing your family portraits and turning them into wall art that stands the test of time. One visit to their website, LivyBlue.com, and you will immediately be blown away by the experience as you peruse their gallery. The lead photographer, Jolivia Northern, is a published photographer with over 10 years of experience in capturing families, weddings, and school senior portraits. If you want a breathtaking photography experience, contact Livy Blue Photography at LivyBlue.com. That's L-I-V-I-B-L-U-E.com. I'm trying to shake the drum, and I started out at the rappers because that's what tricked me. I, we're starting to learn more and more about Tupac. We're starting to learn more and more about Suge Knight. Suge Knight was a football good kid, come from a good home. He wasn't tough. He wasn't Man, do you know if we would have known that? Man, if we would have known O'Shea, Ice Cube wasn't a real gangster, that he was intelligent, and O'Shea liked to write movies. Man, don't, man we would have had something else to strive to be. If we would have knew Irmis was so intelligent and liked his astrology, we, we wouldn't have, man, we needed something. We need something else. We need something else, man. So I'm saying, okay, man, Tupac played himself. He played himself. I played myself, man. I was supposed to have been a lawyer. I waited to go to law school too late. Non-traditional student. It's harder to do it that much. So you see what I'm saying? We got played. So let's quit playing, y'all. That's why you hear me say, man, I was playing gangster. Man, I was playing bad. I was playing pimping. I was playing. And I'm starting to find out we all was playing. None of us wanted to be bad, nasty, mean, heartless killers. Somewhere down the line, we was taught wrong. We was tricked. We was abused. We had to grow up and, and take on these this mindset in order not to be prey. And then it became a part of who we grew up to be. But we fought not to be it, but we didn't know how to change. So I'm starting to see all this now. So I'm starting to see all this now. So that's why I'm so adamant by, man, fuck them rap-ass niggas. Man, fuck that shit, homie. Give us a word. So that's why I wake up and say, hey, man, I'm taking my daughter to school. Say, man, I've drive. So, I'm, man, I got a, man, hey, man, I'm sitting at the table eating breakfast with my wife, baby. Look, so I'm letting the people, so I'm saying, okay, man, this is what they need to see. Man, look at, man, so this is a family, man. He seemed crazy, but, man, the guy's married. He's in his children's life. He's at the volleyball games. He's at the kids' football game. He's in the community doing this. He says some crazy things. That's the character. So, but I step out of the character and say, I don't cuss like that in front of my wife and kids. I don't talk like that when they at the table. So, this is what we need from a culture standpoint. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. Also have Brother Vaughn on the line. Again, if you want to get in, 646 646- Seven eight seven one six nine one. You do have to press one to let us know you want to speak. I see y'all out there still tuned in. So if you don't want to get in, no problem. So I guess we're doing something right because the callers are still out there. Um, but with that said, um, I want to throw up to a degree, I think a slight monkey wrench. Um, brother Ch- Charleston White, I think he's made himself famous enough now that where people know his voice. This is 
you know, an older cut for those who really follow him and, you know, say, oh, he's not, you know, still with his wife or whatever and that kind of stuff. Um, but that aside, this is an older cut that we've used on the show before. But I thought it was interesting because I do want us to understand the anti-blackness within our own community. And I think it involves, as he mentioned, a mindset that we are, because, again, I don't want to conf- anyone to confuse how I am against the terminology, quote-unquote, of black-on-black murder in the last segment, of, to confuse I am not excusing uh, the mindset that you hear Charleston White referring to and being and, and very aware of the influence, if you will, of, of music. Now, I always think we take it too far and, and, and think music makes people murder. While that is silly, music definitely has influence on what we value within our community. And so a lot of what Charleston is exposing, I am a fan of, because we do need to challenge our own mindset and how we see ourselves and even what we value. Are we valuing things that are, quote, unquote, anti-black unknowingly when you hear a Charleston say, when I was a kid, I was tricked by this perspective. And so we actually raise something up that may be detrimental in, in, in value. And, and, and that becomes the issue and to me is worth exploring on today's discussion. Latrice, your thoughts on what you're hearing right now? Um, you know, I think there's some validity when we just think about how we, our brains function, and it really is true what you consume does impact you. Um, particularly if you're a younger person because your your ideals are still being formed at that point. And so it's important to understand that. Now, the flip side of that is that while those folks that he named were not gangsters, it's something that they may have – they bought into that narrative about black people and violence, and they decided to capitalize on that in a sense. Um, but I do. I think that what happens is that black people and white people see the same narrative. We see the same stereotypes that play out. Some folks um, intrinsically absorb that. But I think the issue is that most of us, we, we think about racism as something that happens to black people, but that's, it happens through black people as well. And I don't know if you've taken the implicit association test from Harvard University, but it's about evenly when it comes to black people who take that right. that association test. It's mm-hmm. evenly those who are pro-white and those who are pro-black. So there's a large contingent of us who take that test who come out. You know, the results show that you have a preference for European Americans over African Americans. That's how the phrases are, are formed on the, the assessment. Um, And that negative association um, happens because we see or experience the same narrative that that white people experience. And the first time I took it, it was shortly after I I was robbed by Knife Point on a MARTA train. And when I took that test like a year later, um, it showed that I had 
a slight preference for European Americans over African Americans. And I bring that up because our lived experiences also impact our unconscious bias. And when I took it at that moment, that that person holding a knife to my throat, with my, my brain still held that in its consciousness, and unconsciously, as a result, I was favoring European Americans over Black Black Americans, and so we need to understand the root of those those thoughts and feelings. Absolutely, Vaughn, your thoughts. I know you do a lot of um, therapy for couples and things of that nature. So you and I, you know, just me knowing you respectfully, I know you think on these lines as well. So any thoughts to again, just me bringing Charleston White again, someone that we all know now. Um, but just his thoughts to this particular conversation and just being aware of, quote-unquote, if you will, our own anti-blackness that we may sometimes be unaware of. Your thoughts, King? Yeah, I I thought that was tremendous, and I think it ties right into what I was saying earlier about owning the narrative of what it means to be black. Uh, I remember listening to a rapper, Wise Intelligent, from the Poor Righteous Teachers, and he was talking about the different um, things that the AR – rector execs would allow versus reject to allow, uh, to be put onto the album. And, and he was very upset about, uh, you know, after police and all of the gangster gangster type of stuff that they were promoting. But when it came to talking about, you know, after police or, or even fight the power, you know, there was always some pushback on these ideas. And so you fast forward, you get to a guy like Charleston White, there's so much anti-black behavior ingrained in black people at this point that um, Charles White is even facing death threats. So you listen to the type of man that he is and the type of things that he does, and you have people that are so willing to protect the narrative of what it means to be black that we didn't create, that they're willing to harm him in the name of protecting it. Now, that that's a... Uh, maybe a blown up way of saying it, but ultimately, no, I respect it. it. No, I respect. No, no, I I think that's a great context. It's a great context. And although, uh, you know what I mean? I mean, it's got to be nuanced here because I think your context is perfect. And I'll say, but the although will be, that is a very small segment who are willing to go that far. However, they do have cheerleaders who wouldn't dare think or say, they would harm him, right, or whatever. And I will say the cheerleaders is right. that extended extended value system that we get, you know, for people that are caught up in the context, if you will, of the music. Because at the end of the day, music's not making someone go kill anyone. I still like to always highlight that because we think that the mu- music is leading to murder. And if you go look at murder rates, just, again, being very particular that's been up and down regardless of the music that's been put out. And it actually went down prior to the pandemic, even though that type of music has gone, the type of music that we're specifically referring to, the type of music that, that spits that, that kind of stuff out that we know is detrimental to our children was at its all-time high when the murder rate was the lowest in our community prior to the pandemic. Again, that's not excusing the music. It's just we take the narrative right. too far. So I always like to be very Can I push back a little bit? Yeah, please push back. That's what we're here for, brother. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I will say that I, I agree with you that music doesn't make people murder. Let me start there. But I will say that I, I think it absolutely influences behavior. So it may, while it may not make you 
pull the trigger, it might make Absolutely. you behave in a way tougher, rougher, more thuggish, if you will, than you would have otherwise behaved. It's the same reason we have music that we put on when we want to get in the mood with our lady. So music absolutely influences behavior. It just so happens that, unfortunately, we have music be, uh, influencing our behavior. And, and, and look, white people buy more hip-hop than black people. So absolutely. there's that. And there's a whole set of statistics on, on their behavior, too. But since we're talking about us, the point still remains, I think, that that music uh, in conjunction with the narrative of what it means to behave like you're black, you know, unfortunately influences us to do, or a, a number of us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do. And and I was one of those kids. I mean, man, I, I remember hearing Ice Pack talk, Ice Cube talk about how they, 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 it was this thing called a Rat Pack where they would jump on somebody for nothing at all. Ice Cube would go stupid when I'm full of eight ball, you know. And they, those types of things influenced my behavior as a young man. You know, so, so, so yeah, I, 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 I'll let you finish. I'm sorry, I thought you were finished. Go ahead. No, no, I, I was pretty much done. I can stop there. Go ahead. Yeah, and I was saying, I love that you gave that pushback because what I am not saying, and I, and I think what you're saying is absolutely fair, what I am not saying is that music doesn't have an influence. I am highlighting we overstate what the influence is, but not, that's not dismissing music, the, not dismissing the influence. The influence can... Like you said, a love song can make you make love to your lady. So absolutely, um, uh, music can have you influence in the wrong direction, like you said. Be a little tougher or try to be gangster, try to be a thug or whatever. But even in trying to be a thug as a college kid, you know, you know we're still not out there conducting drive-bys. And I'm just kind of highlighting that you know, you're absolutely right absolutely. about the influence. We just sometimes try to overstate it, realizing economics plays a huge role in criminality not music from that standpoint. I just like to try to be as nuanced as possible, but you're absolutely right. The music can be a huge yeah, I agree completely. Yeah, it can be a huge influence. And like you said, there's a reason why AR, ARs are picking certain types of music to go commercial versus other music, right? Like it's literally, when it comes to hip-hop, it's almost flipped, right? The conscious music is now the underground music, right? Like it's, so it is flipped, and we both know that's not by accident. So I give, so I give complete credence to what you're talking about, and that's why I like to highlight it affects our value system, and that's a, a major, major influence. But it's not causing someone to pull a trigger. I just always like to highlight that. We're up against the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. Where all I ask that you think. I want to highlight also with Eskine's tax and accounting. If you mention, if you call them and mention mental dialogue, you will actually get $50 off on your taxes as well. I wanted to highlight that um, before I pay their commercial once again. We'll be right back. Do you simply want your taxes done this tax season? Or do you prefer to have your taxes completed by a professional on top of current and constantly changing tax codes? If so, look no further than S-Kind's Accounting and Tax Services, where each year, plenty of satisfied customers from around the country return for an efficient and professional tax experience. For small businesses, S-Kind's Accounting and Tax not only provides bookkeeping and accounting on a monthly, quarterly, and or yearly basis, but S-Kind's Accounting and Tax goes above and beyond to provide yearly tax strategies to increase the bottom line, profits. While no one likes when Uncle Sam or the IRS comes knocking, know you're in good hands with Eskine's Accounting and Tax. Call them today at 770-947-3667. Again, that's 770-947-3667. 
888-242-3667 or email them at advice at thetaxcoach.com. Welcome back to the Mental Dialogue Talk Show. I'm your host, Montoya Smith, a.k.a. Black Socrates, along with special guest co-host Latrice Ross. This morning's discussion question, are there anti-black black people? I want to jump into I've been trying to get this in the entire show, so I'm going to jump into it right now. Uh, I did a dialogue with a couple of my brothers, so um, brother thinking about coming to Atlanta. As I mentioned at the top of the hour, not I mentioned, I should say our commercial, our PSA, our public service announcement, highlights. Um, for those that are enjoying this conversation today, we're not here just for the dialogue. It's dialogue and connect. And so we connect people to one another. And so uh, yesterday, brother, looking to come to this area, hooking him, up, hooking him up with some recruiters, try to get him uh, a job to move to Atlanta. So we definitely love to look out for our community. And we do that over at mentordialogue.com. Look at becoming a member. We are a nationwide virtual neighborhood where we dialogue, connect. We can be neighbors even we don't live next to each other. We really look out for each other, and we have amazing testimonies of brothers and sisters working together. One of our members just got a $350,000 contract two months ago because of a connection inside of the community club, just to highlight that. Uh, with that said, I mentioned very briefly earlier, I have an upcoming book called Re-Education of the Negro, and I wanted to kind of break down and read a snippet or a commentary from the book. The book is designed for to create the same dialogues you're hearing today. And so they're short commentaries with discussion questions. I actually connected with a couple of brothers yesterday, as I just mentioned, and after we made the connections to get the brother lined up for some interviews, um, I actually shared this commentary, and we had a great dialogue. So be on the lookout on the YouTube page for some video of that dialogue. But we're going to practice it and try it here just so that people get an understanding of how our book or how my book, I should say, is is set to be used. Uh, I know people don't necessarily like to read anymore, so I did short commentaries to create discussions, and I think this commentary is fitting for today. So I'll read this, and I'll ask you and Vaughn, we still have him on, Latrice, um, these discussion questions. So today, so this conversation, I'm sorry, this commentary is called Black Socrates Speaks Unapologetically Black. I love everyone, but I am unapologetically black. When you've been systematically degraded and taught to hate yourself, a profession of love for oneself and culture should not be seen as a stance of defiance, but simply as a gesture of common sense. Someone could say, what if I, as a white person, said I love being white? My answer is, if you live in America or a country where your history, culture, and traditions are celebrated, it becomes unnecessary. Trust me, Columbus is no hero of mine. Even if you, as a white person, travel to a country where you become the minority, but you go there with full knowledge of your history and culture and declare you love being white, it is not only an act of defiance, but instead a false statement of superiority. Only when you are raised under circumstances in which you are the minority without knowledge of your history and culture, regardless of color, does it become natural to seek out a definition of oneself and any statement after that declaring love of self is simply for recognition. Just my three cents. All I ask is that you think. All right, so I'll ask you the first discussion question to that commentary, which I know you already know that you've already had this or know this, Latrice, but these are the questions that are in the upcoming book. The first question is, did you know the American elite constructed the idea of race to control blacks and most other whites? 
um, your your answers to that question in reference to what you just heard, Latrice. Um, of course, I, I recognize that, and, and that narrative um, continues to play out. Um, but I think I think some of it is unconscious now because of what's been embedded in the very fabric of this country. So I think that while back then it was an intentional discussion and decision, I think now it's just it, it it's been relegated in many instances to an unconscious thought, but a thought that is still prevalent nonetheless. Right, and narrative, the narrative lives on to a degree. Um, Vaughn, your answer to that question, were you aware that the American elite constructed it to control not only blacks but most whites? Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, I know a little bit about the origin, if, if, if my understanding is correct, Bacon's Rebellion and all of that stuff. Yep. Um, so, yeah. Yep, I'm aware. Um, and I lost my train of thought, so I just say yeah. I was going to no, say something else, good. but I forgot it. No, you're good. We're good. Let me go to the second question. This is, again, this is how to use this book. So the second question, and go back to you, Latrice. Well, actually, I'll start with you, Vaughn, give you the opportunity to start first on this question. Uh, this question says, since race is a social construct and not a biological fact, is it good or bad to identify strongly with one's race? Your thoughts, King. Um, I think Man, it's a double-edged sword. Oh, so I'm going to start with it's this. It's a double-edged sword. Start first on that one. Go ahead, brother. Yeah, I, I think it's, a, it's one of those almost like a catch-22 because uh, it is a social construct, uh, but since it's such an effective social construct, it almost puts us in a position where, you know, it, the less we – find common cause, the lower our rates, or I should say the more we find common cause, the higher our rates of success. I, I believe, if I remember correctly, um, those who go to HBCUs tend to form better alliances and do better socially and professionally. So um, if that's accurate, then I think that there's some value in, uh, you know, in, in leaning on that, I think. Uh, I don't know, man. Um, so yeah, I'll I just say that. Yeah, that's my opinion. I will. I, yeah, I don't know that exact stat, but I do. Most people don't realize this: the HBCUs produce over half our doctors and lawyers in the country. So for whatever way people may think of them, I'll just use that. That's something that I'm very aware of. So that that might speak to whatever stat you looked at. But yeah, they they produce most of our engineers, doctors, and lawyers, even though. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a sense, their numbers are, you know, in a lot of cases are actually dwindling down. They still produce half of the black lawyers, doctors, and engineers. Um, your um, answer to that question, again, Latrice, says, since race is a social construct and not a biological fact, is it good or bad to identify strongly with one's race? Your thoughts, Queen? I, I actually think it's a good idea because if you think about, think about the Asian community, think about the white community, there are, there are, there are traditions that are passed down from one generation to the next. There, there culture, there's culture that's embedded into their existence. And so while we as African-Americans have had our history and culture stripped away from us, I think that it's a good thing that we are now rediscovering that and being proud of that fact. So I think it's actually good. Um, other communities um, are, celebrate their culture, and I don't think it, we should be any different. All right, so I'll go here, and this is a pushback, and again, it's just to get an idea for these commentaries for anybody out there listening. Uh, definitely hope the book is already available. We're going to do an official release in March, on March 17th here in Atlanta. 
And so I'll definitely see the promotions on that. But it, um, to stay within the context of this conversation, so I, my pushback is, is, again, not for anybody to agree with me. That's not the goal of the book for you. And it, it, it literally lays this out. It's not for you to agree or disagree with me. It's for to have these discussions and people give their train of thought on it. And so what I'll say is, since it is a social construct, I mean, meaning it was handed to us in the ways that we've all agreed to, I actually think that the over-identification uh, to one's race is an issue. And, and in this situation, while we've spent the bulk of this conversation talking about anti-blackness, mostly within ourselves, right, because we asked, are there anti-black black people? Here, I'll move out of the context of just us because, again, the racial construct was given to white and black in particular and Native Americans, if you will, to an extent, quote, unquote, the red man, as we you know, would hear it to a degree historically. And so I would highlight that it is, the, it is the strong identification to the construct that has created the issues, even the concept of one race being superior to another. And so I would offer that once you understand that construct was given and handed to you and made up. Now, let me say this real quick as a caveat. To your point, Vaughn, I also recognize the reality of that perception is so strong that it has led to life and death consequences within our community. So me even highlighting getting away from the construct does not mean I'm saying, oh, everything's okay, and there are not potential real-life consequences. I wanted to be very clear before I make this last point. And the last point being that it is the over-identifying that is the issue for either race. Um, I, I highlighted this when I was talking to the brothers yesterday. Brother Bernard Kinsey, he and his wife, they own the, um, the um, largest collection of African-American art and artifacts in the country. And I remember this brother said this when he, when he was um, – they, when they had his um, – the exhibition where Wells Fargo was kind of sitting around the country. And years ago when he came to Atlanta, he said one of the biggest mistakes we've made as a country when it comes to race was the idea of trying to become colorblind, which we've had conversations particularly about that. And he always said the country should have been focused on becoming color rich. And what he distinguished was the idea of being able to appreciate one another's difference because to a degree, the United States is a really a, a relative experiment when you think about, in a sense, other countries are, can be rel- relatively monolithic to a degree in comparison to, you know, the United States. And, you know, there's other, there's other countries that's just diverse, but it's not a normality in in the majority of countries. So in this uh, quote-unquote salad bowl or American experience, when you become color-rich, then it becomes an idea of, oh, okay, why does your culture do that? Why do you do that? And when you get curious, once you get curious, now we can make good decisions based on how your culture is different than mine. And the reality is race has never been a way to correctly build culture. The African-American experience, we were forced to build culture be a struggle you actually build culture via choice. So when we see these various traditions that people hold on to, and if we move up, quote, unquote, well, even when you said this, Latrice, white people have, in a sense, their traditions, well, we really, literally typically get within the cultures, within the, quote, unquote, white construct, 
Now you're talking about the Italian traditions, the Jewish traditions, the you know Scandinavian traditions, and every other race and culture has that outside of African Americans due to the unfortunate transatlantic enslavement trade. Our culture has been built through str- through struggle. And struggle is not a proper way to build culture. So that's my pushback. We are here at the end of the show. But, Vaughn, thank you so much for your three cents this morning. I'm going to go ahead and let you go. And, Latrice, thank you so much. If you want to give a 30-second thought, I'll let you go. That's all we got to end the show. But thank you, Queen, for being with me again this morning. Um, I just want to say that the, uh, that the politics of respectability, it's come about because it's a, co- a coping me- mechanism, and it only – serves to affirm inferiority and unattractiveness of black people. So I think that that's my parting thought. Thank you very much. We'll see y'all next week. All I ask is that you think.